Well, God bless you. Welcome to the Wonderful Words of Life radio program. We are studying the life of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and we are going to be talking about relationships today. You know, one of the characteristics of the life of the Lord Jesus was his relationships that he had between men. And of course, we can relate to that because, you know, we desire relationships with Christian men. And in speaking of these relationships between godly men, uh, we could say that both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, the scriptures teach us, you know, to have a healthy, viable relationship with brothers and Christians, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. So, um, and this relationship, of course, it begins with our relationship that we have with our Heavenly Father through the new birth. And, of course, this relationship is to translate to our relationships that we have uh, with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Uh, and But unfortunately, it's this is reality that in the church world, uh, there are many in the church that will never be our friend, will never be our confidant. Even though that we have a relationship with the Lord Jesus, even though we have a relationship through the Lord Jesus concerning uh, brotherhood and sisterhood, uh, we'll never have uh, all of those who are in Christ Jesus uh, will not trust his friends or his confidence. And it's a great enigma because actually we're all one in Christ Jesus. But it is, I think, a faithful saying that if we go through life and if we in our lifetime have one or two friends that we can trust, that we can share our heart with, that we can open our heart to, then we are truly blessed men and women indeed. And so even though we cannot trust everyone, even though the, the ones we're speaking of or believers in Christ Jesus, um, we can have a relationship with them. And of course, there'll be different levels of relationship. There are some that we're going to love like brothers. There are some that we're, we're going to be so close to that uh, we can. We can open ourselves up to them. And there are others that uh, will only allow us uh, into their lives to a certain degree. But one thing for sure is that all men, whether they're in the church or whether they're out of church, we need to treat them with the love of Christ. And, of course, we're going to see that here today. Uh, we're going to see how Jesus, uh, how he deals with adversaries as well as he deals with friends. And so uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10 uh, today. We're going to finish out this chapter. Uh, and, of course, what we're talking about today is relationships, both with adversaries and with those that we're close to. So, Heavenly Father, we bless you today. We thank you, Father, for wisdom that always comes from the Word of God. Now, Lord Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, reveal truth to us, and we'll give you praise, honor, and glory for it in Jesus' name. All right, now, this is the uh, incident in the ministry of the Lord Jesus where a certain lawyer stands up and tempts the Lord Jesus, and we're going to see how he responds. Uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 25, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, 
the phrase tempting him comes from a Greek word that means to test thoroughly. And I find it very interesting how Luke uses the description uh, lawyer uh, to describe this man who basically what he was a scribe, one trained in the law, but a lawyer testing the Lord Jesus thoroughly. It's almost like uh, this man took it upon himself to be prosecutor and judge. And so he's attempting to find a fault in the Lord Jesus uh, so that uh, he can accuse him. Uh, this man, this lawyer, is not an honest inquirer. He, he, he approaches Jesus as an adversary. But notice how Jesus responds, verse 26. And he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read or how readest thou? And this is a very astute way. And of course, people who uh, form debate teams and learn how to debate, this is a very, um, very astute way to throw an adversary onto the defensive. Uh, Jesus answers a question with a question. What is written in the law? But I want you to notice something here that I, I find very, very uh, telling and true, and it's of great, great value when we're dealing with people who are opposing us. Now, Jesus answers this lawyer's question with a question. And, of course, this is something that Jesus did quite often dealing with men. Remember when the Pharisees brought to Jesus and gave him, uh, said, uh, should we pay tribute to Caesar or no? And and Jesus turned right around and uh, and and used this very same type of um, uh, debate mechanism uh, to leave the Pharisees dumbfounded. And so, but I want you to notice that Jesus did not use sarcasm uh, he did not get on the defensive. Uh, he was not intimidated. Jesus responded to this lawyer with pause, but also with a lot of wisdom. So basically what Jesus was saying, well, how do you interpret the law concerning this subject? And, uh, of course, verse 27 the lawyer answered and said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy might and thy neighbor as thyself. So the lawyer rightly judged from the scripture what it meant to inherit eternal life. And of course, Jesus said, well, you've answered right. Do this and you will live. So right here, Jesus goes to the very heart of the matter. He sees into this lawyer's heart. He didn't retaliate, but he went to the man's need. In other words, he took the lawyer to the word of God. And that's very important for us to understand today, because when we're being opposed by someone who doesn't agree with our doctrine or who doesn't agree with our uh, Christianity, then what do we do? Well, we go to the Word of God. Well, what if they don't believe the Word of God? Well, I've been in debates with people that didn't believe the Word of God, and they told me, stop speaking the Bible to them. Well, you know what? I didn't stop speaking the Bible to them. And the reason is, the Scripture says that the Word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The Word of God is the sword that the Holy Spirit uses to pierce the heart of unbelievers and to convict them of sin.
And so in debating with uh, these people, actually it was more than just one person, uh, they kept telling me to shut up. Well, I kept I kept quoting scriptures and I kept explaining the scripture to them. And finally, they're the ones that shut up because you see, you can't people who oppose God cannot argue with the scriptures. They have to know the scriptures to be able to argue with the scriptures. But if you know the truth, then you don't have to be intimidated by anybody. You can just go right ahead and start, you know, uh, using the Bible, using scriptures and don't back down. The worst thing you can do in a debate, especially when you're on the right side, when you're on the side of truth is back down. Don't back down. Now, if the person gets violent, because that's what that's what opposers usually do. If they if they cannot win the argument, then they begin to get violent, begin to get aggressive. Then you just walk away. Because basically you have provoked them, amen, in a good way because you've touched their heart through the power, through the word of God and the Holy Spirit has convicted their heart. And that's how they responded. So basically you've won. <laughs> amen. You won the debate, but you don't have to get into a fist fight and you certainly don't need to suffer violence. Just turn around and walk away. But now notice in verse 29. Now, the lawyer, he knows now that he that Jesus has boxed him into a corner. Jesus spoke to his heart because Jesus knows all things. He knows that this lawyer was not living up to this standard of the word of God that he was attempting to hold Jesus to and others to. Verse 29, but he willing to justify himself said, and who is my neighbor? So you can under, you can see the contention. You can almost hear the contention in this lawyer's voice, his, his self-justification. And who is my neighbor? Well, the lawyer is really nothing more than a scribe. And a scribe is somebody that is supposed to be conversant in the law of Moses. So Jesus placed this lawyer on the defensive by turning the tables around on him. But in a, in a way to convey truth, to help this lawyer see his need. And basically what the lawyer did is he indicted himself. And then he asked the question, and who is my neighbor? Jesus answers this man in the parable of the Good Samaritan. So let's go ahead and read it. Verse 30. And Jesus answering said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. So this was either a fellow uh, a Samaritan or it was a Jewish man going down to Jericho on business and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, this man is naked. I mean, this man has everything taken away from him. His purse, his tunic, his coat, his clothes, his undergarments, down to his very thin undergarment. So, and he's wounded and half dead. So, that, so these thieves, they thoroughly punished this man. And by chance, there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. 
And so what does the priest and what do the Levite, what, what do they represent? Well, they represent self-centered religion. A self-centered religion that ignores the needs of others. And that this type of outward show of religion is nothing but vain and empty. It has no power. And Paul talked about that. He talked about the powerlessness of outward religion, but the power of an inward religion. And so the priest, he was the one that was supposed to serve God by being uh, involved in the offerings. And the Levite, he was tasked with serving the priest and the priesthood. But neither one of these men showed any mercy, any compassion towards that man that was out of the way. So they failed. They failed in the above commandment that they were supposed to obey. Now, if you had asked this priest and if you had asked this Levite, do they keep all of the law? They would have said, sure, we're good Jews. But they broke the law because they failed to love their neighbor. And they didn't recognize that this man that fell among thieves was their neighbor. See, we, we make a great, great error by thinking that our neighbor is just our friends or our neighbor is the person living next door to us. No, our neighbor <clears throat> are those to whom we come in contact with, whether they're good neighbors or whether they're bad neighbors. So both of these, this outward show of religion, both in the priest and the Levite, they both knew the letter of the law, but they failed to keep it. Because there is in the law, in the Old Testament, the spirit of it, justice and mercy and truth. So what we see here is in the priest and in the Levite is the outward expression of religion is meaningless. It's the inward expression of the nature of God, the character of God that's demonstrated by love and by mercy. Verse 33, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. That's the spirit of the law is mercy and it is compassion. Having the same mercy and compassion towards others that God has shown toward us. And so the Samaritan here, he is he is doing what's contained in the heart of the law. He's showing compassion towards the man that was robbed and wounded. Verse 34, and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. Both oil and wine are symbols of the Holy Spirit. And I like that. And set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever you spend more, when I come again, I will repay you. See, the Samaritan did what the priest and the Levite should have done, but failed to do. And then this is what the, this is what the Lord Jesus says to the lawyer. Which now of these three do you think was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And the lawyer said, and he had no other answer. I mean, how how could he answer any other way than to say he that showed mercy on him? And then Jesus said to him, go and you do likewise. You see, this is the very heart 
of the lawyer's problem. He thought he was going to contend and debate with Jesus. Well, Jesus turned the tables around and showed him and revealed to him the wickedness in his own heart. The fact that he was pointing a finger, attempting to point the finger at Jesus, but he had three fingers pointing back at him. Amen. The Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, the Word of God. And so Jesus, instead of the lawyer teaching Jesus, Jesus taught him, go and do thou likewise. But the deeper meaning of this parable is that Jesus fits the type of the Good Samaritan, and he does it in five ways. I picked five ways. I guess you could take more ways out of this if you wanted to. Number one, Jesus fits the type of the Good Samaritan because Jesus was moved with compassion. What, what was it that drove Jesus to the cross? To fulfill a duty or love? Love. Love drove Jesus to the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus is the love of God personified. And it's that same love that Jesus shed in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Now, when Jesus poured in the oil and the wine, he did that symbols of the Holy Spirit to heal our wounds and bruises. Now, he did all of that on the cross. His wounds were for our healing. His bruises were for our healing. Hallelujah. So Jesus went to the cross for us, but he also poured out the oil and the wine, the Holy Spirit. He did that for us. Amen. Praise God through the new birth and on the day of Pentecost. The fourth thing that Jesus did is that this good Samaritan, he loaded the wounded man on his beast. Amen. And see, this speaks to us of the beast of the cross that Jesus willingly placed himself on. Amen. That beast of burden. He placed us upon that beast of burden. And it's a true saying that when Jesus was on the cross, you and I were on his mind. That is absolutely the truth. And he carried us to the inn. That's the church a place to where we can find safety, a place to where we can be among people who are going to truly love us and desire the best for us. And if you're in a church that's not loving you, if you're in a church, a so-called church that doesn't have your best interests at heart, then you need to prayerfully consider leaving that church and go finding one that's, that's going to love you, that's going to give you a part, that's going to be open to you. Praise God. And of course, the Good Samaritan told the innkeeper, he says, you you take care of him. You nurse him back to health and whatever you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. See, Jesus says the Good Samaritan, he is coming again, praise God, and his reward is with him. And so it is true that this parable of the Good Samaritan does typify the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise God. All right, now that's dealing with relationships with our adversaries. How about relationships with our friends? Well, in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, uh, this is the relationship that Jesus has with Martha and Mary. Verse 38, now it came to pass as they went. Now Jesus is still journeying now towards Jerusalem and Judea. 
that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. So now Jesus, the Lord Jesus, he's not far. He's not far from Jerusalem now. But he enters into the house of Martha, Martha and Mary, both and Lazarus. They were all friends of the Lord Jesus. So by Luke mentioning Martha first, that means that she was the mistress of the house. So she was the older sister. Verse 39, and she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. So Mary here was not engaged in the duties of the house. She may have started out that way, but when Jesus sat down and began teaching, she left what she was doing. She went and she sat at Jesus' feet. In other words, she sat right directly in front of the Lord Jesus. But now here's where the contention comes in. Verse 40, But Martha was cumbered about much serving, and came to him and said, Lord, she just bursts into the room and interrupts Jesus while he's teaching. And she says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. Now, remember that Jesus is with his disciples. So now there's a houseful of guests. And you can imagine Martha is busy not just providing a meal for her family. Thinking about Lazarus, thinking about Mary, thinking about herself, thinking about the Lord Jesus, but also the twelve. <laughs> and there's no telling how many disciples were in company. So this is quite a task. This is quite an undertaking. OK, so uh, Martha is overwhelmed. But this is how she reacts. Don't you care? Don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? I'm the only one in the kitchen trying to get all this food ready to feed my guests. And here's Mary sitting at your feet and you're allowing her to do that. You bid her. That's an imperative. You tell her to come help me. And so the fact that Mary was cumbered about much serving, that's an imperfect passive indicative. Imperfect meaning over and over again. This was Martha's issue in her heart meaning her patience had run out she was frustrated and irritated but not only at Mary but also at the Lord notice the words don't you care what does that remind you of that was the same words that the disciples spoke when Jesus was asleep on the back part of the ship during the storm don't you care that we all perish Make her help me. That's basically what Martha was saying. But now learn, notice what Jesus was Jesus didn't get up. He didn't get on to Mary. He didn't get on to Martha. Amen. He just answered her. Martha, Martha. Now, when Jesus mentions people by name twice, Martha, Martha, he's making a point that he wants her to grasp. When Jesus says, verily, verily, he's making a point that he wants us to grasp. Pay attention to what I'm saying. Notice what Jesus says to Martha. You are careful and troubled about many things. In other words, you're upset. You're out of patience. You're irritated. You're frustrated. Not just about this, but about many things. 
But one thing is needful, and I want to draw your attention to that. But one thing is needful. One thing is needful. Jesus is saying to Martha, it is not needful for us to all of us get busy to prepare this meal. We can do that afterwards. There's no set time that we have to sit down to eat. But one thing is needful. And Mary has chosen that good part. Notice what he says, that good part. So if there's a part of something, that means there is a part of something else. And what Jesus was saying here, he's saying, Martha, I appreciate everything that you're doing. You have a part. And I appreciate the fact that you're busy about and, and you want to serve me. You want to serve the disciples, you know, and you're blessed because of it. But you're doing and getting frustrated over the lesser part. The good part is what Mary is doing. And then Jesus says, and this good part shall not be taken away from her. So Jesus is saying, Martha, in, a, in an indirect way, Martha, stop what you're doing and come and sit down with Mary and let me teach you about some things. Martha, she was busy serving in a way that she thought was the most important. But in actuality, it wasn't the most important part. What Mary was doing was the most important part. And yes, Mary was helping Martha, but as soon as the Lord began to teach, she left what she was doing, set it all down, and sat at the feet of Jesus. And for Martha, it was more important to ready the meal than it was to hear what the Lord was saying. And so in essence, both women were serving the Lord, but two entirely different approaches. Martha was attempting to serve the Lord outwardly, preparing the meal. But Mary was serving the Lord inwardly from her heart. And it was the Lord that said to Mary, she has chosen the better part or the good part. Mary was putting her heart need first before the need of the body. And that's so, so very important. How many times do we get the things, the cares of life, deceitfulness of riches, lust of other things, our mind gets in a twirl about everything that we have to do in the natural, and so we forsake our prayer, we forsake our Bible reading, we forsake our devotion time, we get so busy at home we don't go to church? Oh, I'm too tired to go to Sunday night service. Oh, you know, we can't go. We can't take the children to Wednesday night service because we have to. They have to take a bath and go to bed in order to go to school. We just admitted that school is more important than serving God. And that's a wrong attitude, folks. That's a wrong attitude. We are to put God first in everything. And part of putting God first is that we put church first. Now, there's two things that we need to understand. When it comes to the essentials of the Christian faith, we always put Jesus first. But when it comes to the non-essentials of the Christian faith, notice that when the non-essentials of the Christian faith, we put family first. When it comes to Wednesday night midweek service, making sure the kids have a bath is a non-essential. Making sure they get in, they get in bed early enough to go to school in the morning. That's a non-essential. What is the essential? 
is to teach our children to put God first. And part of that is making sure that they're in church. And that is true. Devotional time, prayer time, time spent with Jesus, loving him. Amen. Praying in the Holy Ghost, getting filled up with the spirit. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. Going out into the world filled with the Holy Ghost. Those are essentials. Tithing, giving, those are essentials. And not get busy encumbered about with these things that really need to be placed aside so that we can love and serve God. Amen. Father, we bless you. We praise you for your goodness and for your mercy. Now, Lord, uh, this word that has been taught, Father God, we right now we make a, a prayer of commitment to put it into practice immediately. And Lord, we'll give you thanks for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you were to die today, that you would be prepared for heaven? If you're not sure, then I encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Father God, I come to you through your Son, Jesus Christ. I repent and ask you to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I surrender my heart and life to you. By faith, I believe I receive you as my Lord and Savior, and I thank you for receiving me in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed this prayer and desire to know more about the gift of Christ that the Heavenly Father offers you, then email us at rbtc86 at gmail.com. We will be glad to answer your questions promptly and provide you at your request with materials that will help you to grow in your faith in the Lord Jesus. This is Patsy Dunning. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. And let me remind you to tune in to this station at the same time next week to hear more of the wonderful words of life. God bless you and remember what Jesus said. It is the Spirit who gives life.